0: Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evi Kyori and this is our first episode of our podcast for 2022. Now, New Year, same as here at Reactive. And this year seems quite promising in terms of news. Already at the beginning of it, uh, the EU is focusing on the tension between Russia and Kiev, a story that started the past few months. And it's now asking for close attention and uh, possibly action from the West. And in Spain, according to reports published these days, 2021 was the deadliest year on the Western Euro-African border, where 4,016 people have lost their lives while trying to enter the country. Ukraine remains one of the hot topics of this early start into the year. And to shed some light on what is happening on the Russian and the Ukrainian borders, I am joined today by your Alexandra Brzozovsky. EU's chief diplomat, Joseph Borrell, visited the country this week in a symbolic move uh, of support. Now, before we get into the specifics of the story, Alex, what are we looking for in the next few days?
1: So, Evy, it's definitely a very busy start into the new year. Uh, I mean, we're looking forward to a flurry of meetings in the next few days um, after Russia has sent their proposals for European security to U.S. and NATO. So, in preparation uh, for next week's diplomacy, we have NATO foreign ministers meeting um, this Friday uh, virtually. Then we have talks between the U.S. and Russia in Geneva. Then a meeting of the NATO-Ukraine Commission before a NATO-Russia Council on 12th January, and then discussions uh, with stakeholders um, under the OSCE framework. So it's quite a package. And um, additionally to that, we also uh, will see probably the issue taking center stage uh, next week when EU foreign and defense ministers meet uh, in Brest under the French presidency. So um, it's a lot of meetings in a very short, short period of time.
0: So, when we look at the lineup of the meetings, uh, we could say that uh, Borrell's visit to Ukraine isn't confidential in that sense.
1: Yes, I wouldn't say uh, it came very surprisingly, but uh, indeed, it's the first ever visit by a EU chief uh, diplomat to eastern Ukraine, so since the war broke out uh, nearly eight years ago. So, that's in itself. Um, but I think that what has become fairly clear is that the EU side has been sidelined in all of those talks because. When we look at the list of meetings, um, I think uh, we see that the EU itself is fairly absent, maybe not necessarily by its own fault. I mean, the fact is that Russia has um, addressed its security proposals to US and NATO deliberately, not towards the EU, and uh, seems also not to have any interest in interacting with the EU. So mostly because it doesn't really consider um, it as a security actor. Um, But many EU diplomats here in Brussels have have been left quite frustrated with that um especially with how the meetings might have been arranged yeah is there any chance for the eu to be involved so borrell himself has been going around and and saying brussels cannot be a neutral spectator um in the negotiations and nothing on ukraine and european security should be discussed without the europeans and ukraine at the table but um in that case i mean he has he has a point but um the sidelining um and the whole debate about how to handle russia is frankly a bit more of the same when it comes to internal divisions um over eu security and defence in general so france and germany um for example have been quite active taking the more bilateral uh, approach and eastern european members have been looking towards nato and the us there were some some coordination efforts um by the american side with, with them as well so we can have a lot of discussions on eu level about the theoretical and structural issues but um also about what strategic autonomy means and so on and so on but the difference now is that there is an actual security threat that needs to be be addressed and, and it's obviously a very different situation and the eu has already warned russia in december
0: of consequences in case of another military aggression against ukraine what can be effectively done since member states seem not to be on the same page uh, when it comes to Russia?
1: So, as I mentioned, Berlin and Paris have been quite active. Um, they were trying to revive the Normandy-former channels. I mean, German, German Chancellor uh, Olaf Scholz, new foreign policy advisor, and his, his French counterpart traveled to Moscow this week um, to talk with senior Russian officials. What will be interesting to watch over the next days, uh, especially with the Franco-German dynamic and uh, the French presidency now, um, is how the French will be playing their mediator role on this issue. So we have the informal meeting of foreign and defense ministers next week in Brest. And um, previously, Macron has made um, it kind of his personal project to advance um, what he calls European so- sovereignty and and defining the U.S. relationship with NATO. So this will be a huge part of the presidency. This will be a huge priority. And we have the strategic compass um, to be signed off by EU leaders in March, um, also under French mediation, effectively, in the end. Um, and on the first draft, uh, which was presented in November, there has been the criticism that the threat assessment aspect of it was not clear enough when it came to Russia. And do you expect it to change much? Several EU diplomats I've spoken to, and not only Eastern Europeans, um, have said that the threat from Moscow should maybe have been specified a bit more um, by including especially military threats, uh, weaponizing energy supply, for example, or hybrid actions. And um, they also have said that they want to table amendments for this. Um, This has partly happened, as far as I understand, but... um, I think it will be interesting to see in what way the current uh, situation with Ukraine might have, have might have influenced the wording of, of of the next versions. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Alex, for the very interesting information. Indeed. You're listening to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Irractive.com/newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. And moving to another ongoing issue, this time in Spain, where reports published these days show that the past year was the deadliest year on the Western Euro-African border, where 4,016 people have lost their lives on the dangerous Canary Route. To hear more on this story, I spoke with Euractiv's reporter for Spain, Paul Afonso Fortuny. Paul, Spain is confronted with one of the longest-standing problems uh, that the southern European countries are facing, and that's migration and uh, the refugee crisis. And the year that passed has been the deadliest for migrants that are trying to get uh, to Spain. Why is 2021 the deadliest year for migrants trying to uh, enter Spain? What has changed?
2: So basically, um, when we speak about why is the deadliest year, uh, we should highlight the fact that m- most migrants try to reach Spain by the what the so-called Atlantic route, uh, which it's basically taking a rubber boat or a or a fishing boat from uh, the Saharan coast, Morocco or even Gambia uh, towards uh, the Canary Islands. So. When it comes from Senegal or Gambia, we're speaking about almost 2,000 kilometers uh, of like traveling by boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. That's why it's probably one of the, or considered the deadliest route to Europe at the moment. And uh, also a proof of that is that only 5% uh, of the dead migrants have been recovered. So also we're speaking about the fact that the that boats get completely lost. So, we're speaking that the the number, the official number, uh, counted by the OIM, uh, it's around 4,400. But the reality is that there will probably be much more victims. Um, We have no record of them.
0: And what is the country's policy and are there any pushbacks? You know, a a practice that is followed uh, by Greece in case of refugees and migrants that are trying to enter the country from uh, Turkey. Is that something that we see in Spain?
2: Uh, well, regarding pushbacks, um, there has been uh, many of them when it comes to the border uh, with Morocco, so the physical border. And uh, there's been a big case uh, when when there was a migrant, a big migrant crisis uh, last year. But in general, in the sea, there hasn't been any pushbacks due to the to the specificities of the Atlantic route, uh, since it's so dangerous and it's so white that basically doing a pushback would mean that they would uh, die straight away.
0: The numbers are really high and we are not talking just about numbers, but we are talking about human lives here. Do we have any reactions or even action taken by the EU, especially after promising uh, the allocation of the refugees in different EU countries?
2: Well, when it comes to the, to the EU... Um, there hasn't been significant action taken rather than uh, some financing when it comes to uh, proper setting camps in the Canary Islands to the to the allocation of these migrants in a stable way, just following a bit the example of uh, Lesbos. and But apart from that, no big uh, relocations have taken place. And also uh, Spain has followed the Greek example in putting uh, physical difficulties for the migrants to reach uh, mainland Spain. So so the same example as Lesbos is followed and the EU is not taking considerable action against that.
0: Well, thank you, Paul. And our time is up for this week. I am Evikiori and this was Your Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.